Well done, Gus. Thanks. Great job. Good morning, everybody. Um, Gee, isn't it wonderful to worship the King? I'm so delighted we don't have to make things happen, man. It's like like we just want to work with what God's doing. Amen? You know, friends, I want to say carefully, just thinking, listening to the verse, the scriptures, listening to the voice, what God's been saying this morning. Careful to say this, but I know some incredibly gifted and anointed, called by God people and ministries that have so planned their way forward that I believe they've planned their way out of the will of God. I know that's harsh to say, but I look at it, I listen to it. It's just Greg's picture of put aside your, your construct, your stuff. I realize that we are decision makers. Greg said that. But be careful in the decisions we make. And the reason being is we have ramifications not just for us. As I said yesterday, the only one who can take you out of the will of God is you. But on the other side is we get to take a whole lot of people with us because they trust us because we've been entrusted by him to lead them. And so it's not to put a pressure on us. It's to hear God and do what he says. It's to... Walk in the Spirit with the Spirit. And and I think we love the Spirit-filled sense of the Holy Spirit. We love to have these Spirit fillings and infillings and refillings and every other filling we see in the book of Acts, and they're there. It's not a one-off. But I want to tell you that I've realized more and more that Spirit-filled churches are not necessarily Spirit-led churches. They're not necessarily spirit-moved churches. They're not necessarily spirit-sent churches. They're just spirit-filled. I don't believe we can be truly filled by the spirit with the spirit and then get back to our own thing. So I think the challenge for us is obviously to keep coming back to the Word of God, to keep coming back to the revelation of Jesus. And Jono's presentation of this morning, just through Scripture, of Peter willing to be beheaded ultimately because of his revelation. Not borrowed truth, not something he heard from someone else, something he contended for himself day in and day out. That he was willing to go anywhere and do anything, ultimately give his life for Jesus Christ. Knowing Christ and making Christ known. It's not a cliche. It's not something we have on our websites and having on the walls. And I love Tony. He, he, when you, before, when you were traveling to Africa, I know you started again. But he would take these photos and send them to me of all the African churches around Africa and around the world of know Christ and make him known on the, on the walls and send it to me of all these partnering churches. And it blessed me to no end until I realized maybe it's on the wall but not in our hearts. I don't think there's a greater privilege than knowing Christ before we make him known to others. And so again, friends, it's coming through again and again. I know we know this and we want to move on from it, but don't move on from Jesus knowing him, contending for him. Paul's obsession was Christ. 
We all look to what he wrote and how he was inspired, but he always pointed people to Jesus. When there was sin in the church, he brought Christ is our righteousness. When there was division in the church, he pointed them back. Is Christ divided? His ministry is Christ, was Christ. His life was Christ because that's what made his ministry Christ. And so it's this revelation of Jesus, knowing Christ and making him known. But also in that, friends, it's understanding the role that the Holy Spirit plays in everyday living in order to get us to know Christ better, to reveal more of who Jesus really is. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. In actual fact, Jesus was very clear. The Holy Spirit had not been sent because Jesus Christ had not yet been crucified or exalted. Why? Because it's in his exaltion. The Holy Spirit brings glory to Jesus. He doesn't take the glory. He gives the glory. And there's this role that the Holy Spirit wants to continue to play in us, with us, through us. And if we are just planning our future together, and if we're just laying it all out, and I know the Word of God is essential, I've said that, come back to the Word of God, come back to prayer, leaning, weakness, leaning on omnipotence. I am weak, He is strong. When I don't pray, I'm telling Him, I've got this God. We got this God. But there is a major role the Holy Spirit plays. And it's not just downloads and it's not just thunderbolts and lightning, which it includes that. It's not just, and I'm not saying just, signs, wonders, miracles. It must be that. And remember, we don't follow signs, wonders, and miracles. They follow us according to Scripture. But best they follow us if we truly are following Jesus. But it's also this daily walking with God, the Holy Spirit. It's us being empowered and encountering Him, yes, but also Him speaking, Him leading, His guiding. Go here, don't go here. Go there, don't go there. I think one of the big challenges for me being stuck in America, stuck at home, I've always felt that I've got this global inheritance and to stand before crowds and stir up the elders and pastors around the world. And that is part of the call, but I wasn't able to do that for a time. So I had to find another way to do some stuff. And you know what I did? I realized I have, my Jerusalem needs some help, not just the outermost parts of the earth. Where God put me, I need to minister to those people. I don't need a local church in America, so what do I do? And so he, every day, walking with the Spirit, He revealed to me, speak to this person, go to that person, at the gym. And I'm just telling you, leaders, we're busy, right? We are busy. We must be. But sometimes we're so busy with leadership that we minis- we're missing the ministry God wants to do through us. And I, I want to, if I even get, we're going somewhere totally different right now, so we won't know where we're going. But saying this, I'm busy. And I put things in place because I need to have things in place. And my days are planned because I have to Zoom this guy, this guy meeting here and, and around. And, and so I'm really busy and I've been really busy and And I used to be irritated by the interruptions. I've said that. I get so irritated by being interrupted. I've got a plan. I'm busy. I don't have time to talk to this person, this person at the gym. And I wear headphones not even to listen to music, just so people leave me alone. 
On airplanes, I put my headphones on so they won't look at me because even when they're not on, I just put them there on so people think I don't want to talk. I'm sorry, forgive me. I know that's exposing my heart. but And I, I claim to be like Jesus. I love Jesus and I want to represent you to this world. I want them to see you in me, Christ in me, the hope of glory. More of you, less of me. But then I dare read the Gospels. Jesus had a plan. Jesus had purpose to everything he did. But Jesus ministered mostly out of interruptions. He didn't wake up and say, today I'm going to heal 10 people. I'm going to raise three dead. I'm going to heal the leper. I'm going to he didn't have this strategy of this is what I'm going to do today. It was simply, I know what God's called me. I know what I'm called to do. I know my mission here on earth. But in the interruptions, most of the good teachings that we like to talk about today in the Gospels were out of interruptions, questions asked to Jesus while he was speaking. What's the greatest command? He was asked. He didn't preach that. He was asked that. And we have built our, obviously, understanding and theology. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. A direct preach or response to an interruption of a question. And of course, he had systematic theology. And yes, he had these things that he had laid out, and he had, but he also allowed interruptions. And into those moments... He ministered to people. I think of that Jairus' daughter. Remember that story? Another one of those irritating stories in the gospel. That Jesus is on his way to the crowds, and the crowds are waiting for Jesus. I mean, that's what we taught. Leadership played to the crowds. I'm not saying crowds are not important, but Jesus was on his way to the crowds, and a man came to him and said, Jesus, my daughter is dying. Please, will you come with me? Jesus didn't say, hey, phone my secretary, get in touch with my admin guy, and we'll let you know when that is. Probably five weeks' time we could catch up for that. I'm on my way. The crowds are waiting for me over there. (laughs) Jesus said, take me to your daughter. He left the crowds to go to a little girl who was 12 years old. And on his way, this is the quintessential. This is the interruption of interruptions. He's on his way, already being interrupted to go and pray for his daughter. And on the way, the woman with the issue of blood interrupts Jesus. He gets interrupted again on the way to another interruption. And if it was me, I'd be like, that's it. I'm done. I've tried. You getting in my way. You get. Even the disciples were like, what's going on here? And he said, who touched me? Disciples were like, everybody is touching you. What, what are you saying? And he said, no, no. Someone interrupted me. Someone pushed in with me. And that woman, as you know the story and you know custom, he said, who touched me? And she was fearful. Why? Because unclean can never touch clean. This was more than an interruption. Unclean touched what was clean. And usually when unclean touched unclean, clean became unclean. And she knew that. And so she fell to her knees and said, it was me. 
And he heals her because clean healed unclean. Power through him touched her, made her clean, healed her, interrupted. He ministered to her and then he went to the daughter and was dead and he raised the daughter from the dead. She was 12 years old. That woman had issue of blood for 12 years. You numbers guys, tell me what that means. I have no idea, but it's great. So I said, I've been in Denver recently, and I, I end up going to the gym, and this time I don't even wear my headphones. And we have had such opportunity to minister to all sorts of people, because in these interruptions, ministries taking place, transitions, and people transforming, and everywhere we go is ministry. I remember we began to pray as a church and we put names, and I love how we do that. We put names of who we trust in God for, and we're putting names of who we're gonna pray for. And as people got saved, we ticked them off and we and we celebrated that. And then I felt God say, What about my list? You've all got a list out there, and that's great, but I've got a list too. And every day you're walking past people on my list because you're so focused on who you're gonna reach on your list. That's the Spirit's role, friends, is He tells you go there. He tells you go there. We know the story when He was invited to the banquet. You remember when He said, go invite all those who, and He said, all those that were on the bank, on the guest, and I know it's talking about the kingdom, but, but you can learn some things here. All those on the guest list were invited, but all those on the guest list had a reason why they can't come. All those who had relationship to be invited said we can't. And the master said, go on the highways and the byways. Go to the people you do not know and compel them to come because my house must be full. Go to those you don't know. Go to those who are on his list. And that's going to happen with interruptions, not just planning, not just strategizing. Spirit led into speak to this person, go to this person for church planting, for, uh, for the right people to connect us to the right people so we can get into new regions and places, but also simply so Jesus can minister to people around us who may never join your church. And that's okay because it's not about your church. It's about us representing Jesus to the world who we claim we love. It's not about filling our buildings or our churches. It's about showing Jesus, representing Jesus, and telling you, friends, Jesus was available. Jesus was in the mix. Jesus was with his, his disciples, and he was also with the sinners. And you guys lead local churches, and you're privileged to do that. But don't get so busy with local or your local church that you're missing the community. It's as relevant in God's economy. I might misunderstand some of these truths, but for me, when I read some of the texts where Jesus talks about the sowing of the seed, and, and it says a farmer, Mark, I think it's Mark chapter 4, I'm sorry, I'm going all over the place here, but a farmer goes out to sow the seed. You know the story, right? Talking about the kingdom again. 
And then he says, so some CG and it falls on this and falls on that. And, and, and I understand. And there are many ways to look at that. I understand that, guys. But, but what I've realized is that we so overlook a farmer goes out to sow seed. We're so focused on the soil. We're so focused. Is our, is our city ready? Are these people ready? Here's what I'm convinced of. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm getting more convinced. I cannot ready the soil for the seed. This room this morning is full of people. I can't ready your soil for the word I have for you. All I can do is ready my heart, my soil, to receive the seed that God gives. I can't even do it for my son. I can't do it for my wife. I can't do it for my kids. I can't do it for the church I lead. I can't ready their soil. I don't think that's what it's saying. I think we're so focused on readying the soil, we forgot the first part. A farmer went out to sow the seed. <laughs> and so we're reading the soil for something. I believe we'll stand before God, honestly. And I'm going to talk about eldering in a moment, God willing. For the people God's called you to lead, but also for the seed He's called you to sow. That's it. We're not seed growers. We're not dig in the soil, we simply scatter seed. But Jesus goes on and he says, whether you sleep or stay awake, the seed grows. Gee, we could hear that. Not based on how you present it. Sow seed. You know that, guys. I meet people who reject instantly when I talk to them. Other guys are ready to get saved on that moment, right there. Before I say anything, now I want to get saved. We've got guys in our gym now literally saying, how do I get saved? Coming to me. I hear you this year. They're coming in our church. They just, they just, they're ready. Why? Because someone sowed the seed somewhere. And the Spirit's been watering that. And they've come to us and said, how do I, can you help me? My marriage is messed up. My, everything that can be shaken has been shaken. And the economy's in the drink for us in America right now. And our politics and the, 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 the pandemics and all this stuff and wars and everybody's beginning to be shaken and suddenly what they've had their faith in is no longer worthy of their faith and now they're saying tell me what to do ready sow the seed sow the seed and you might not see you might not see that person saved or even in your church but that's okay because our job is not to save them or put them in your church. Our job is to sow seed and advance the gospel and advance the kingdom so King Jesus can come back for us. Doesn't matter how it looks. I just want to sow seed because I want to be a farmer who sows seed. Are you okay? So your churches are seed dispensers, not just... Reading your city for revival. Not just praying for a revival. And I'm not anti those things, but sometimes we put repentance at the expense of everything else. If my people, yeah, I get into trouble right now, probably. Forgive me for a moment. If my people who are called by my name will pray and turn away from their wicked ways, seek me then. I will hear them, and I'll heal their land. Now, that's God. That's the same God who's of all Scripture. But that is in the Old Covenant. In other words, the key to God moving in the Old Testament was repentance. That was before Jesus came. 
Remember, Jesus hadn't come yet. But then Jesus shows up and he takes the sin of the world. In a sense, those who believe in him repent from their ways and are made righteous because of Jesus Christ. So what we do, and I get it, friends. I mean, it's become the thing. The go-to for revival is if you pray that prayer and you get on your knees, if you repent on behalf of everyone and everything, then it's like we'll rub this bottle and the genie will come. Now, I know this is freaking you out. It's freaking me out too. I'm not saying that doesn't work, but it's not seeming to work. And then I, I just want to say, New Covenant, New Testament, Jesus came, did it all. I don't see Paul saying, all right, this is how we're going to take this city. All of us get on our knees and we repent on, to God on behalf of this city first. And when we do that, God will show up. And when he shows up, then we'll preach the gospel. And then we'll win cities and plant churches. Man, if that's the strategy, I'm all in. I'm going to be honest, we tried that in Denver and it hasn't worked. We went in there and I repented on behalf of every believer, non-believer and everything we've done against God. I mean it because that's what we've been told to do. And, and I'm not mocking, friends. I really am not mocking. I'm just saying, is it working? Maybe it's not the strategy from heaven. Maybe Jesus should be the focus more than repenting on behalf of people we can't repent for. And we can say sorry for things that we haven't done. I can stand up and say, I'm sorry that the church has misrepresented Jesus Christ. But I can't repent to Jesus or to God for what you as the church have done. I can only repent for me. Are you okay with this? I'm trying to bring liberty to you because there are people you called to lead now who are being led by you who are living with bondage because we're so putting stuff on them because we brought the old covenant truth, which is still biblical, but we've taken it over Christ rather than through Christ. I don't see Paul, and again, not that Paul, but there's something. I don't see in the book of Acts that they go there and repent on behalf first. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were saved, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they went everywhere. And what did they do? Preach the gospel. Preached the good news in that city and won a whole number of disciples. Didn't go in and repent. They went in and preached the good news of the one who has taken sin, the one who makes you right, the only one who is right, and righteousness doesn't exalt a nation. Jesus is the one who is righteous. So let's get people in love with Jesus. Let's get our governments looking to Jesus. Let's not talk about we need righteousness in our White House or righteousness. We need them to meet the one who's right so they can become right so we can live in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the golf clap. I understand we are all walking through this. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm not telling you to believe what I believe. I, I'm trying to find God's way in this. Because it seems like Christians are getting sadder and more unhappy by repenting on behalf of everyone else. And everyone seems happy living in their sin. And we keep doing this waiting for God to show up. We're getting more and more feeling bad for what's happening. We're feeling bad for our forefathers. We're feeling bad for the church, feeling bad for leaders. And somewhere I've got to say, is that what you've told me to do? If I've repented of that, am I still that? No, then move on. 
But if we don't make that stand, then people don't like us out there. And if we don't put it on the post what we're standing for, and I stand with Ukraine, and I stand for, and let me just tell you, we've got churches in Russia and Ukraine. What do we do with that? Wow, you know, Russia. Not Russia, the government. We have churches in partnership with NCMI in Russia. If we stand up there and I put a flag on my thing, I stand with Ukraine. What about Russia? I stand with this cause. What about the other causes? Didn't Jesus in show up, I'm on this cause and I'm on that cause. He stood for and people knew what he was against. But he didn't stand on a cause. He wasn't polarizing. He was simply trying to bring life to people around him. And you guys are in danger. I understand the pressure on elders and pastors and leaders to play the game with the culture to win them over and get their approval, but also to keep God's people free. And I don't think we're doing both well. I, get, I think you've got to do one well. And the one is you're going to stand before God for the people God's called you to lead. Those people in your church have been purchased with His blood. Keep them free. Are we okay? Check it out in the Bible. That's all I'm asking. If I'm wrong, carry on with your plans and hopefully one day he'll show up. But I'm just telling you, we can learn from history, but we've got to walk in the now. And I think the devil's strategy is always getting us to do something. Sackcloth and ashes. Pay a price. Prove you are following Jesus by doing something that's costing you. And I get there is a cost. It costs us our lives. But we don't earn anything from him. We get to do something because of what he's done on the cross. We sang this morning about resurrected power. It's not just I get healed. We live in the resurrected power, meaning we're free. And when we sin, we repent for us, not for someone else. I mean, listen, if I could, I'd repent on behalf of my kids. But God hasn't called me to repent on behalf of my sons. Imagine one of my sons came and said, Dad, I'm so, I want to repent on behalf of, jo, of Jude, my other son. I'd be like, well, that's cool, but how can you? You didn't do that. Bring him here. I want to hear him. I love your heart, boy. Thank you. And I, he could say, sorry, Dad, that Jude did that, but not sorry on behalf of Jude. And just so you know, repentance is not saying sorry. Repentance is turning away from and turning towards. So if I've already turned from and turned towards, turned my back, to, and I've turned towards, metanoia, turned towards. How many of you know that every time it comes up in our culture, I don't have to go back and do it again? Very quiet, and, and, and I'm, I'm trying to be quiet. I don't even want to say this. I've said this to the team, but, but I really want to ask you just to go. Remember? The Word of God found in the gutter. Go back to the Word of God. The whole Bible, not Old Covenant, seeping into the New Covenant and hoping we're going to get the mix right. Through Christ or nothing. Christ's work is nullified if we bring in that over Him rather than through Him. Oh, Lord, please, let me get to my notes. I won't be in trouble then. Are you, are you, are you, are you, listen, I love you and you love me, God willing, and he put us together so we learn to love each other. 
But the pressure on you guys, it's not from God. And the more you play into that, the more you're going to move from what God's called you to. And the problem is you've got people behind you embracing what you feel rather than what God's saying. Our time together this week is God's got to lift some stuff from us that's not from God. So we can, remember my dad's whole thing was always, it's more important what you get saved into. I mean, I heard that from pretty much the day I was born. More important what you get saved into than what you get saved out of. Because he came out of such religious stuff, doing his best. And those people who were leading him were doing their best. But it was man-made structure, wrong interpretation or no interpretation. Just stuff that makes us feel good. That makes us feel bad so we can feel good. That's kind of how NCMI was birthed, just so you know. And it wasn't by a man, it was a God thing. And I'm not here to promote it, because I think all of you, as far as I know, are partnering with us. So, but I want to just tell you, this wasn't a man starting a revolution. This wasn't a man in a revolt. This wasn't a man in rebellion. This was, this was God saying, I want my people to stay free. And so my dad, as many of you know, have a history, and he was part of some interesting denominations and movements and fly, and I'm not, anyway, but he was in some bondage because the stuff they expected of him. And one day he dared just read the Bible, and he dared read the book of Acts, which is what most seminaries and Bible colleges tell you not to read. Somehow that book shouldn't be in there, but all scriptures God breathed. But just... That is not relevant. Everything else is. Well, how handy is that? That's the outworking of everything we believe. That's Christianity 101. That's church planting. That's Holy Spirit empowered. That's walking in partnership with translocal team. I mean, friends, it's there. Can't negate the importance of the book of Acts. So he did read the book of Acts. And while he was reading the book of Acts, he longed for what he saw in the book of Acts. And he thought, why is it that the thing I'm part of has none of this and we have all this other stuff? And when it came to spirit stuff, you've got to understand what they were told and what they were taught. That the stuff we just did this morning in singing in tongues or speaking in tongues is not just weird, it's from the devil. Maybe some of us who are a little uncomfortable with this speaking in tongues. Well, he wasn't uncomfortable. He was taught, you speak in tongues, you go to hell. <laughs> and so you know what he did? He dared read what the Bible said. And while he was reading, he longed for what he saw in the Bible. And he longed for what the Bible was speaking of. And he said, I long for the spirit stuff in me to manifest itself. And right there, with his garb on, Batman and Robin outfits, dog collars, he said those things. He sat there, and guess what happened? He was filled with what he longed for because God gave him what God wanted him to have. And he began, no one laid hands on him and said, say this after me, Honolulu, Suzuki, Kawasaki, all the nonsense, nonsense. Say this after me, let me teach you how to speak in a heavenly language. Well, if you can teach me how to speak in a heavenly language, the last time I looked, that's your language and I don't want that. 
All the tricks to get people going. Isn't it amazing? No one was in that room, just him. And the Holy Spirit came. Filled him. And he began to speak in heavenly languages. Now, you've got to understand, he's not just in trouble. He's going to hell. <laughs> so he finds the moderator. He's like, can you please, can we meet? Something's happened. They come running down there and say, what's happened? He said, well... I did. According to us, I'm going to hell. So what happened? He said, well, I was reading the book of Acts. Shouldn't have done that, Dudley. Is that what you're guilty of? No, no, it's worse. <laughs> what happened? While I was reading, I was longing for what I saw in the Bible, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I began to speak in tongues. And according to us, I'm going to hell. What do we get to do now? You know what the moderator said to him, Dudley? I mean, obviously he was not happy about it. and said, here's what I, I suggest. If you sign an agreement, I promise to not do that again. <laughs> I mean, I'm not mocking. I mean, it's the best you can come up with. If you promise not to do that again, we'll sign an agreement and pretend it never happened. Can you imagine? That's the answer. God has filled me with what I see in Scripture, but I'm assigning an agreement to you to say I won't do what God's given me. I won't live in what God's given me so I can stay part of this thing that we call representing God. Are you listening? Some of us maybe have some of those rules in place. Maybe not for that, but for something. We represent God. We're all about the Bible, but hey, hang on, not that. You might not have to sign an agreement, but we don't want that. We won't celebrate that, certainly not in our main gatherings, because that could freak some people out. So we'll do the Wednesday night thing or the Tuesday morning, 6 a.m. for the real committed. Then it doesn't go, yeah, we've got all the tricks. My dad just said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And by the way, it's amazing when the Holy Spirit reveals and you feel, you begin to see things. Why is it that I'm wearing this? Why is it they call me reverend when the Bible says you don't call anyone reverend? Why is it? And he began to question. It's like you can't turn that off and pretend it didn't happen. You know what the most tragic thing of that whole story is that that man eventually said to my dad, you know what, Dudley, you're right. But I have a pension coming up in a few years' time. And I'm not prepared to make that stand. Now, I honestly, friends, do not judge that man. I'm just saying something's wrong. And so we left. And why I'm saying that is because this thing God's called us to is a God thing. This truth and what we're going after and contending for is what the Bible teaches. It's Bible plus nothing, Bible minus nothing, but we seem to add a lot of things to the Bible or take a lot of things from the Bible. Now, there's freedom where abiblical, we have freedom to do things that are abiblical. As long as they're not setting themselves up, I believe, to, the, to stop people knowing God. And those abiblical, th abiblical things can change and must change in order to be more effective. But the Bible's clear on what is God, and the Bible's clear on what is not God. And we better contend day in and day out to all of it or none of it.
So a little while back, a few months ago, I got a, a prophetic word. I mean, I get a prophetic words a lot, but I, I, I got from a guy, a very credible guy, a guy, a friend of ours, who's not part of NCMR, but very prophetic and a good guy. If I told him his, your name, his name, I think most of you would know. And he just said, you know, God put me on your heart for like three days. And he's like, eventually, I'm like, God, what do you want me to tell Tyra? And so he, he phoned me and he said, I had this picture of you. And he said, you were standing on a dock and there were thousands of boats, ships, in the sea, and you're standing on the dock. And he said, and there were two chains, two ropes, one massive rope that was going into a pylon behind you, which is a big cement pylon that represented foundation and truth. And, and all these ships had their, their, their rope into this pylon. But he said, then the other, the other rope was in your hand. And he said, as I say, you're standing on that dock, you shook both, and all the church, uh, all the ships pivoted and lined up with what God's called you to do and what God's put in your heart. Now listen, not my heart, my church, my stuff. I believe it's coming back to Scripture is what God's intended at every level, radically, radically. Not on our value system when we talk to new believers or people looking into it's radically back to Scripture, pivoting from what we are to what He wants us to be. And one of the things I thought of straight away, because those ships, in a sense, what He was saying, represented churches all across the nations and the world, have a foundation that is all linking us together, but the other one is shake and shift us all, pivot us all into what God has for us now. And I know this is sounding so cliche because so many of us have been preaching around this, but I felt God say part of that pivoting is that those cruise ships now need to become battleships. Maybe we've wanted to be a battleship, but perhaps we've been cruise ships. How many of you have been on a battleship? How many have been on a cruise ship? Come on, confess your sins. Listen, I went once and it was when we relocated from this country 90, in 89 or whatever it was. And we had 12 days on a ship and it was the, I hated every minute of it. Right? We went from Durban to Perth on a ship, a Kililora, and that thing sunk anyway, I heard. <laughs> and listen, after two days, I was like, I'm good to go. Get me off this thing. All right? It's opulence at another level. And at that age, I was like 17. Who wants opulence like that? I think the older I get, I might want, but not. But you know, there's similarities, obviously, and I'm not trying to be cliche. I really am challenging you because we're talking to elders today. If you want to be a battleship, it's going to require leaders that think like battleship people. Your church will become what you emphasize and how you operate. And coming through COVID, I think we are forced, in a sense, to kind of get back to some cruise ship mentality first in order to get people. And if you think one day you'll become a, cruise ship, a battleship from a cruise ship, here's the, let me just tell you, you will never be a battleship thinking cruise ship first. <laughs> and let me tell you about a, a cruise ship. The only thing you're required to do on a cruise ship is breathe, because it's the only thing they cannot do on your behalf. 
Everything else is for you. Everything is positioned for you. They make it as easy as possible. They just feed you. They do everything. In actual fact, the, 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 what do you call it, a captain or whatever, they, they pick the easiest water so it's not going to rock you and not wake you up. And I mean, they, I mean, they just, it's, not, it's crazy. Everything is about keeping you comfortable, connected, and happy and making it a worthwhile journey for your money. Battleship, not so much. There's camaraderie, there's involvement, that people have a role to play, there's this going somewhere, they're floating on the sea. But there is a mission. And the mission is not to keep everyone on the ship happy. And I think the biggest difference between a battleship and a cruise ship is that everything on a cruise ship exists for the people on that cruise ship. Everything on a cruise ship is for the people on the cruise ship. Everything on a battleship is for the people who are not on that battleship. We've talked many years about base churches, and I think that's the same way. But I almost want to move that word base to battleship. We need battleship churches. Base, yes, but let's move base. Because I want to tell you, a lot of bases, I, I, if I ask people, what's a base church? Honestly, today, it's like we've got money, you got resources, you got people, you got buildings, you got, that does not make you anything. Those are awesome, and we need them, but what's what you're doing with them? That's the difference, right? I know churches that have 20 people in them and that are so focused to exist for the benefit of others, are so willing to use what they've got, that they're functioning far more than some of the biggest churches in the world who are got everything, but it's all for the people in there. This is not about size. I'm just trying to tell you, it doesn't matter how big your church is, doesn't matter how many people you have, how much money you have, how many resources and, pe- and buildings you have, those things will never make you a battleship. What makes you a battleship is what you do with what you've been given. And we need many, many, many more battleships of all sizes. If we're going to get the job done in this time and in this season. And the pivot is this, shift from cruise to battle. Notice I'm wearing my camo pants. And then I came down the stairs from, and then Marcus was wearing his. So I, I, I don't know. We are in the spirit or we are, who else? Jeez, Craig as well. Who else has got these pants on? Come on, there's camo here. I don't know, maybe it's the war we were called to, but the rest of you just stay on your cruise ship. We'll fight on your behalf. (laughs) Are you with me, guys? I'm so trying not to be cliche about this, but this is what God wants us to hear. You could sit here this morning and say, Chia, I want to be a base. I mean, we want to be a battleship, but it's not do you want to be. What are you doing to be a base? It starts with you want to be, because good luck being something you don't want to be. It's not in your heart, you'll never do it. But it's not just heart, it's intention. It's building, and, and let me just tell you, I get this, guys. COVID has rocked us, and here's the deal. We've struggled because we have done, people have left. We don't know, I've listened to guys, we don't even know who's still part of the church. And some guys, 
are looking how many hits they get to find it's in Ghana and other countries. It's not even, it's very hard to know who's with us, who's not. And I get that. And here's what I've watched. That every time we desire to bring people in and bring people back, we begin to please people in order for them to come back. Are you listening, friends? And I get it. The pressure on us as a team to try this and move this and go there so we can get some of this stuff back and get people back. And it is in God's economy. But here's what I want to say. Every single time, think about this, every single time, You begin to please people. The first thing that goes every time, the first thing that's sacrificed every time is mission. Don't talk about mission. We're just trying to survive this season. And I understand that. But I then read the Bible and some of the book of Acts. And Jesus clearly kept in all seasons, especially end times, talking and what's it looking like. And he said, don't get caught on some of those things, but you focus on the mission. And so mission is not a tag on an add-on when we get people back. To think we can be a cruise ship to get them back and then somehow we'll shift our focus one day to become that battleship again. You've got no chance of those people staying if you ever do refocus back on being a battleship. See, I believe you can either structure your church for control or you can structure it for growth. But you cannot do it both. Cruise ship versus battleship. A lot of this is determined by you as eldership teams. Not the people, not what God wants. You as eldership teams determine whether that church you're involved in, that church you're leading, and not just the lead guy, all elders play a major role in whether the church will be a cruise ship or battleship based on how you're living and what you're emphasizing. Said this, that good leaders have influence, but great leaders have impact. I don't just want influence, I want impact. And you understand that elders, and I'm not trying to elevate elders here this morning, I'm telling you, biblically, elders are the highest human governing authority in the local church. God made it that way. And I think, and I know this is offensive to many people, but I think that the church's future has been hijacked too many times because we've put settlers in pioneering positions. We've put managers and maintainers in a pioneering position called an elder. An elder's not a manager and you're not a a, 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 a maintainer. You're called to pioneer and be in front of the people. Follow me. I'm in front, leading from the front. I began to think about those triangles. Remember, we all grew up with the triangles, leadership, and I'm a slow learner, but one day I was preaching on this, teaching on this, and I realized it doesn't matter if the triangle is just normal triangle. It doesn't matter who's leading because the leader's at the top and everyone's underneath them. It doesn't matter. If you turn it upside down, as bad as we know, it doesn't matter what leader's in place because they're at the bottom being told by everyone else what to do. Doesn't matter who's in there. Put a maintainer and a manager. Who cares? But if we biblically, as we see it, turn the, the triangle onto its side and the leaders are not above or below, they're in front, then it matters more than anything who's in the front. 
Jesus is always above us, but who's in front? Us, elders. And if you're a settler, if you're not a pioneer, friend, you're destroying and hijacking the future of that church. And I know that sounds harsh. I'm like, we already settled you called. Yesterday we did the nice thing of called, and you're there. And I'm not challenging your call. I'm asking, are you pioneering? Are you leading? Are you going to be a base? Are you going to be a battleship church? The pivot we've moved to, are you going to stay cruise ship and hope to be a battleship? Are you going to contend? Because everything around us wants us to be a cruise ship. And that's how you'll attract people. But I'm not sure that's how we're going to fulfill the will of God. I love people. I want to attract them. But I do want to serve the purposes of God. And it will never be done on a cruise ship. Someone said every, leader, every leadership team chooses how they'll lead the people. Risk takers, caretakers, or undertakers <laughs> watching the thing slowly die. What have you chosen? Are you risk taker? I'm not being silly. I'm saying risking for what God's doing. Are you a risk taker? Are you caretakers? Or have you become undertakers? Let this thing die. Never will be a, cruise, a battleship at that place. I think leadership is about comforting the disturbed, but also disturbing the comfortable. And we have seen many being disturbed in this season. And so our desire is to bring comfort. But let me tell you, not at the expense of the mission God's called us to. People have said, I'm insensitive coming to regions, talking about nations and regions when we're going through what we've gone through. And I said, well, I'm not writing the Bible. I'm simply reading the Bible. And Jesus had these questions, and every time, end times were spoken of. Remember this. When Jesus was asked in Acts chapter 1, he said, are you going to restore the kingdom? The, 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 the Jews, his disciples came to him and said, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Going to take nationalism? And politics and religion, I'm going to mix it all together. And Jesus looked at him and said, it's not for you to know times and dates. In other words, none of your business. That's none of your business. Think about that, church. Right now, is this the end? Mark of the beast, vaccines and 666s and begin to question timing and politics and nationalism in America. But let me tell you, so is it here. It seeps into the church. And the dangerous thing about that is politics and nationalism always win at the expense of the church, what it's called to. Jesus never got involved in that stuff. Not for you to know times and dates, my Father said by His own authority, but you will receive power. Don't focus on that. Receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And what will happen? You will be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. In other words, don't get caught up in that stuff. Get back to mission. Matthew 24. The greatest teaching on end times. Better than Tim LaHaye's. Better than yours and mine and pre and post and left behind and left in front and left there and left, not mocking. And now we're coming alive. Here it is. The end is here. Well, so did they think the end was there and they were 2,000 years wrong. But they lived according to the urgency that he is coming back. And I'm convinced he is coming back in my lifetime. And I've said this, I'm convinced he's coming while I'm leading against him. And if I'm wrong, it does not matter. 
But if I'm right, oh, it matters all right. But Jesus' teaching on end times, signs, remember? These signs, these things will begin to happen as a sign of the beginning. They're not the end, but the beginning of the end. Wars and rumors of wars and, and all these things. I mean, I just, again, I was saying to the team earlier, yesterday, whenever we met, and I said, you know what? If we are a prophetic people and if we dared read the Bible, the stuff we're facing should not surprise us. And to be honest, more crisis is coming. And I'm not trying to be the prophet of doom. I'm telling you, Jesus said, this stuff will happen more and more. Here's what I want to say. We've got to get better at recognizing what's happening. So when crisis hits, if we're mission focused, we can go through the doors through crisis that were never opened before crisis. I was so challenged by God through that time. When, and you can say what you want about America, and I know we handled that badly, but let me tell you, when everyone was pulling out, America was pulling out its troops, getting your people out, getting people out of Afghanistan. I watched on the television and I said, who's going in to Afghanistan? When you cannot get in there, suddenly we could all get in there. When people's worlds have been rocked, let's get the Westerners out and to hell with that country. Who cares? It's not us. I'm not trying to, I'm trying to be cautious, but I was grieved that we should be doing better. I'm not saying we should all go, but we better have a heart to say, okay, when the crisis hits, let's get in there. But then who are we going to call? And our people are still trying to gather and we're trying to get them back off the couch back into the building and we're doing all we can and giving them great coffees and visit. And I'm not mocking, but we're so busy trying to get our people. We forgot there's a mission and every time crisis hits, there's a mission that we can find a way in. But it comes us to move from cruise ship thinking to battleship thinking. Crisis is coming. I don't know what's next. We don't have to fear it. We just got to be ready for it. But ready is not hanging on and let's hope we make it. Ready is raise up people for the mission. Obsessed with Jesus or willing to walk through whatever door. I mean, I think about, uh, uh, who's the guy who went to China? Hudson Taylor, was it? You know that he wasn't a preacher and pastor. He was, dad was a, chem a chemist, I think. He was a doctor and he went to China as a doctor. And he did such a good job with the hospital, they trusted him. And then out of that, he began to evangelize China. He took the gap of the need rather than just said, I'm here to plant a church. COVID hit. We had room for people globally where doctors and nurses, not just in our region, but globally could have been sent in. But are we thinking, oh, no. Samaritan's purse have got it. Or other guy. No, no, we don't want to just go and take care of it. We want to get in to preach the gospel. Is that in your heart, friends? Because I'm telling you, it's in his heart. Oh, that's for some. No, that's for us. Doesn't mean you all have to go. It just means we're thinking battleship. What can be done in these times? The shakings open doors for us that we'll never have before. And the doors will close. Those doors will close after the crisis. Those doors are closing where we could have got in. I was speaking to Ian McKillar recently, or we we're having a meeting, and I said, you know, Ian, it's amazing because China is, forgive me, I know it's been recorded, but it's always on the TV for how bad it is. And I mean, it's bad. Look at what's happening in Shanghai right now. If you don't know, that's cool. Stay focused on your, your world. But 
I mean, it's hectic. And I look at that, and everything in me says, I'm not going near that nation. Let's go where everything's happening. And then you read statistics, the 1040 window. Say what you like. The majority of the unreached people are right there. But we're saying, well, because it's on the news, it's crisis, there's no way in. That's probably the best way in. <laughs> I'm not asking us to go. I'm saying take responsibility of our mission. Battleship. Mission. billion people who are unreached. I don't know how they get those stats, but that's what I've lost heard. 3.3 billion unreached. Unreached. Not had the privilege of hearing the gospel preached. Never will hear the gospel preached. They say, again, I don't know how you get statistics. Not trying to make us feel bad. Just trying to get us to think beyond. They, They say... That in most Western countries, you can go anywhere and hear the gospel preached within 24 hours somewhere. All over South Africa, there's an opportunity for someone in 24 hours to at least hear the gospel preached once. Unreached regions, they say, every 30-something years will someone have the privilege of hearing the gospel. How many know that's a lifetime for most? Don't be overwhelmed. This is our mission. This is why we need battleships. And so Jesus says these things will be going to happen. And then in chapter 24, verse 14 of Matthew, he said this. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations. And then. The end will come. Again, what was the mission? Refocusing on the mission. Don't get caught up in time. Don't get caught up in times. Don't get caught up in what's going on. This gospel, as the king of the kingdom, to preach to all ethnos, all people groups, everywhere, and then that's what will bring the end. But it seems in order to keep people, we need to talk about vaccines. And I'm not saying, listen, guys, I don't know how you've led through these people, led through this season. You think you, I know you think we haven't had it in America. Trust me. We have had the political thing with this vaccine. And I got the vaccine. And if I've lost you now, let me tell you, if I didn't get the vaccine, I wouldn't be able to be standing here today. I'm telling you, my friends and some people in America have called me a sheep. And the Bible says I am a sheep, so I'm comfortable with that. You sheep, you gave in. You took the mark. <laughs> Last time I looked, it's something I'm not going to be tricked in. It's something I'm going to choose to take. You took the poison. You know why I took the poison? Do you want to know why? So I can get on with the mission. And I'm not trying to convince you one way or the other here this morning, but I'm just telling you, you can fight this vaccine thing and you can fight everything and stay home, that's cool. But I'm telling you, we've got a mission to fulfill. I'm not promoting a vaccine. I'm just telling you, if that's what I'm required to do in order to keep reaching the gospel, hit me up. Let me tell you what I also said is, I, 
I don't have faith in a vaccine. Forgive me, you doctors. My faith's not in what went into my arm. My faith has to be in him. But if what goes into my arm, I still have to have faith in him, even if poison's been put in my arm. Why is that? Because maybe that's maybe. I, I'm digging deep, I know. But maybe Mark 16 or something like that, that you'll drink poison and you will not die. Not go around drinking poison, but if you fulfilling the Great Commission and on my mission, you can drink poison and still not die because I will protect you. So when they put that in my arm and I read all the things and people told me, don't take a tire, don't take a tire. I needed to get traveling again. And for me to travel, I needed that. And I went there and I said, would you put this in, please? And let me tell you, if I tell you how I got it, you would lo- it, was a dis- it was the, w- yeah, anyway, this was not a good experience. It was hectic. Anyway, I won't go there. We'll get in trouble. <laughs> but I was, Lord, protect me. And I haven't got a tail yet, and then it was a year and a half ago. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not, let's move on. I, I'm really, okay, I'm not promoting vaccines. You understand that. I, I'm, not, I'm not here to talk about that, but we are warring the wrong war. And I get that, and we need to counsel our people through this, and we need to bring them through. I get that. But more's coming, so focus on a mission. Because these things come to divide us, but God didn't want us to be divided over these things. We all have opinions and perspectives, and we have conviction. Do what you got faithful, but be careful. You don't get into the fight that's taking us out of the mission. This is not the mission. And Jesus made it clear, this gospel preached to all nations. Now, if that's what brings the end, can I just suggest, why is that not what we're focusing on? Surely, there's one scripture in the Bible that keeps me awake, it's that. We have a role to play in eschatology. Revelation of Jesus determines our mission, mission determines the church, church determines our eschatology, end times. Jesus to all nations. Are you okay? Okay, let's read the Bible just so you know I believe in it. First Peter, let's go quickly to First Peter chapter 5. We're going to break in, in a little, in uh, 20 minutes. 20, are you good for that? Can you handle that? It is in 20 minutes, right? Or is it now? Marcus? 11 o'clock, okay. First Peter quickly chapter 5. I want to just read this. We're talking about... Battleship, and again, I know you know this text, but I mean, I can't meet with elders and not read this. We keep saying this, and it's become such a cliche again, but if you're an elder, here's three things guaranteed. God loves you, the devil hates you, and everyone else has a plan for your life. Okay, and more so now than ever before, does everyone have a plan for what you and I should be doing? Certainly you as pastors. I want to just tell you, get back to what God's called you to do. That's it. You owe nothing else. Stay true to his calling. You want to walk in the purposes of God? Stick to the plans of God. What does the Bible tell you you're called to do? So 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1, and Peter, an elder, writing to the elders, and he says, To the elders, presbyteros. Can I just add in there, guarders of the gospel. To the elders, presbyteros, to the guarders of the gospel among you. I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering and one who will also be shared in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds. 
Be shepherds, poimo, gatherers and guiders, if I can put that in, of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, episcopos, bishop, governing. Not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You see, true shepherds don't just tell people the way. Being examples. I believe great leadership, impactful leadership, influential leadership is knowing the way, showing the way, and going the way. I know we know this, but I'm asking, battleship, if you don't go the way people won't go, that's the way God made it. Yeah. If you're about nations and you talk about nations, our people, you can preach about mission, but if our, our leaders are not missional in life, no one's going to go. It nullifies our preaching if we tell them we're not doing it ourselves. We lead by example in all areas, friends. So don't look for What's comfortable for your own life and expect everyone else to be on a battleship? Verse 4. This is the key, I think, to any elder's life and future. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory. That will never go, the, go, never fade away. We started yesterday by saying, well done. And I say it again, well done. Yeah, God sees it. That's all that really matters. You, you, husbands, wives, families, the price. I mean, there's privilege 100%. It's the greatest privilege being an elder. And the longer I'm not an elder, the more the privilege is reminded to me. But I know there is a price. And it's costing you your life. You've laid down your life. And I know that. Uh, someone got up and said, Jesus died for his bride. I don't want to die for his bride. I appreciate that. But... Lay down your life for the sheep. In other words, he's entrusted you with his people. And I want to just say this through this crazy season, I'm sure. It's been the hardest season, but here's what I want to say. The chief shepherd will appear, and your reward will never fade away. That is the go-to when you're struggling as an elder. It doesn't matter who sees it. You don't have to stand up and tell people the price you've paid. Your wives have paid ultimate price. I'm telling you, I know that some of you, and the pain and the price, and you've given up everything, and you've left everything, and you have nothing, but the chief shepherd sees it. And I, I don't know. There is a, a great privilege here on earth, I think, for elders of recognition. But I kind of feel, give me some leeway here. I think Peter's actually saying, if you're looking for recognition here on earth, you should not be an elder. If you want it here, wrong business. Because what he's saying is one day when he comes back, you'll have your eternal reward that will never fade away. The stuff we do is not for here on earth, it's for eternity. He sees it, and he'll never overlook one tear, one price, one rand that you've given up, one of your family members, and all that stuff. It's not done for the people, not done for the region, not for the church, for the chief shepherd. There are people in this room who have given their lives, literally, everything they have. And we might never know that, but it doesn't matter who knows that. 
He knows. It's worthwhile every Monday morning to remember we don't do this for anyone other than Jesus. People come, people go, people have left badly over the season. Sheep bite. They hurt. Just speaking honestly, right? They're painful, they hurt you, they love you the next moment, they split and take everyone with it. It's just nonstop all the time. Don't expect that. Don't, don't imbr- just understand for the king. Chief shepherd will appear. And when he does, your reward will never fade away. I believe elders' roles are to guard the gospel first and foremost. Please him first. First, please him. Remember that in this crazy season of trying to get people back. Please him first. Secondly, they're called to guide and gather the sheep. Called to govern. Thirdly, govern, lead the word. Govern. Leadership. Leading. Can I, for a minute, just talk about biblical authority? Can I do that for a moment? I know we all have authority, and Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. But there's biblical authority given to elders. For the call, not so they can ex- exercise it for their lives, for the call. And we've all seen really bad leadership, we've all seen really good leadership, and we've seen extremes. And, but let's just be faithful, some who love to use their authority and others who are so scared to even step into their authority. But God's given us biblical authority, and you elders have a biblical authority given by God to live in what we've just read. Yeah. Can't do it without living in it, and you've got to step into it and keep going back to it. Titus chapter 2, verse 7, it says this, In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed, because they have nothing bad to say about us. And then in verse 15 of Titus chapter 2, it says, These then are the things you should teach. Encourage And rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. With all authority. Some quick truths about biblical authority. All authority on the human level is delegated authority. Are you hearing that, friends? You've been delegated that authority. It's not your authority. Be careful what you're doing with what you've been delegated with. All authority is vested in a plurality of elders of a local church. Not one dude gets it all. Plurality of elders is being delegated that authority. Biblical authority is all elders carry that. Do you, understand, do you see that, Fraser? It's the protection God's given for his people and for his elders to understand that it's delegated to all elders, not just to one. Whenever the New Testament refers to elders of a particular local church, it's always using plura- the, the, the plural. A plurality of elders over a single local church is God's way of protecting the church against the abuses of authority that may easily happen if a single man runs the church. <laughs> the elders need to submit to the Lord and to be accountable to one another and, can I say, to the church. The Lord delegates that authority to a plurality of men in local churches 
so that no one can play God. All authority is designed for everyone's blessing and protection. Step into your God-given authority to help people be blessed as well as protected. It's for their blessing that we are given authority. Do you see that, friends? So when I'm nervous, and listen, who hasn't experienced bad leadership or abusive leadership? I mean, we all have, and I think so, we so desire not to be that that we negate what we've been given, and it's been given for their blessing. I meet some really wonderful people who say, listen, I know I'm called to be an elder, but I don't have to be on eldership to function because it's in my heart, and I love that. That's what we need more of. But the last time I looked, you're not, an, you're not on eldership team, so... You can have the, fun, the, the position. You're on the eldership team so people know who God's called to be elders. In other words, it's cool that you can function without the title, but God's given titles so the people know who God's called. So coming on to an eldership is not for you, Mr. Elder. Or Mr. It's coming on for them. Does that make sense? We just kind of have a whole bunch of elders that are elders, but we haven't officially made them elders. We're happy. you happy. they not. God's not because they don't know who the heck you are. <laughs> there are guys in our ranks that are like trying to, we don't want to really ordain. We just want to, ha- I love your notion, sir, ma'am. It's great. It's not in the Bible. And the reason it's been set up in the Bible is not to give promotion to man, but to help the sheep identify who the shepherds are. Very hard to be part of the house of God if you don't know who your leaders are. And it's not to elevate them. It's so I can trust them that he's been called by God to lead us and we can trust these people because they ordained and in a position of trust. It's for blessing and protection. When authority is abused, it hurts those under authority. But when it's exercised properly, authority blesses and protects those under it. Authority does not imply superiority. (laughs) Authority has nothing to do with superiority. And we've got to keep taking that thing down and keep being released from hierarchical thinking and release others from hierarchical thinking. Somehow, because we want to honor elders, we elevate elders because of their authority. Superiority is not in God's heart. So it shouldn't be in us. You're not special. You just called. Authority implies responsibility and accountability. We often see authority as privilege, but not as serious responsibility. I want to tell you, it is a privilege, but it's a huge responsibility. I don't know what you do with the authority you've been given, but I trust you carry it and realize this is a massive responsibility. Authority is about character, primarily, and not position. It's more about character than position. Secondary position, primary character. Too often these get reversed. Person seeks the position of authority, but they lack the character to lead. Character is the primary thing in authority because godly character commands respect. And a leader with respect has authority. 
Just to say this again, authority is exercised in the local church through teaching and correcting with God's word. It's exercised in the local church through teaching and correcting with God's word. I just have to say this. Because you're an elder doesn't mean you have authority in every area of every person's life in your church. And I know that many of us don't want to try to over, but sometimes we overstep our authority and we wonder why we get in trouble. You don't have the right as an elder to go into someone else's house and tell them how to rule their lives. They have a father and a husband. And if he's not walking in his authority, you don't have the right to take that authority. Know your authority and walk in it to bring blessing and freedom to God's people. Protection. But don't take your authority and overstep the mark of trying to be in control of all situations. You don't have the right to tell someone where they can go and what they can't do. You don't have the right to tell someone. Just be careful, friends. Because God wants to trust us with more, but are you being faithful with what you have? And not just faithful in it, faithful with it. Man, we've got some strong leaders around and they take control and very quickly they're telling you where you can buy a house, where you can do this, what you can do. And I love your heart, but your heart's wrong. Show me where Jesus did that once. And we can speak and give godly counsel, but we can never give permission to one single person. You're not permission givers. You're godly, biblical, perspective givers. Because I'm not going to have time to get to all of this. I want to just step on our toes if I can for a moment. When you meet with people, you're not doing them a favor. Now, I know we're busy. We've talked about it. I'm, I'm busy too. But I'm not a pastor, an elder, so I can say this to you elders. I'm serious. Please hear this. I know that you're busy. And I know that you've got a lot of people to see. Be careful when you meet with people in your church who God entrusted you to take care of. They're part of your church. You are their shepherd and you in letting them know it's an inconvenience and I'm doing you a favor to meet with you. What else should you be doing? Oh, Studying in the Word of God, Acts chapter 6. No, no, no. It doesn't mean sitting in your office and get a download from heaven. You are giving the Word of God to the people around and you're shepherding. You can't be available for everyone. I understand that. But it somehow has crept into the church today that if I meet with someone, I'm doing them a favor. Now, friend, hear this again. That's your job. And you're busy, and I know. You can't meet with everyone, but don't make out to this someone. I'm so busy. I'm doing you a favor. What do you want? And I'm telling you, it gets done to me regularly. And I don't even think they know they're doing that. But if it's done to me, can you imagine the poor people? I lead these guys who are doing it to me. And I think it's simply crept in. And I'm asking you, value your people. I want to suggest, if God's put them with you, they're doing you a favor being with you. (laughs) Oh no, some of you are going to want to throw rocks after this. None of our people are here. We can talk. Shift your attitude in a sense to say, actually, my privilege is to meet with you. I can't give you all the time. I'm not saying give them more time. I'm just saying careful how you project. I'm doing you a favor. Get to the point. What do you need? No, no, your job. Your job. 
Your calling is to take care of those people. And I don't want anyone to quit, but if that job cannot be done anymore, you need to step aside. You know, I was leading a great church, planted, loved it. I'm, I, it was the joy of my life. But because of my travel and my other ministry and all that, I, I couldn't be there for the sheep. I could be there every Sunday and tell them what I think. I could minister and preach. I was living the American dream, American pastor's dream. Preach and go. Love it. I don't have to live with the consequences, just offload and get on the plane and go to the next. And I felt the Lord say, you're no longer shepherding these people. Don't have the right to stand up and speak to them publicly if you're not connecting with them privately. I'm not saying everyone, just some. Can't just, I love that. We can shepherd from the pulpit, but not exclusively. So I had to hand that church over to someone who would be there for the sheep day in and day out. Now, there's different ways and different structures. I understand all that. I'm not trying to get you to look around. I'm asking you, sir, you, ma'am, in this room this morning, not for your eldership team, you, is there something crept into your heart that actually says, I'm doing this person a favor. Every person I meet with is getting a favor from me that needs to shift this morning. He has entrusted you with those people. And the fact they want to meet with you, it's your privilege and your calling and your job. Shift your focus and watch who God can add and watch your people feel valuable and they will be willing to run through walls with you rather than you doing them a favor. But by the way, keep giving and getting on board with what we're doing. You good? Even though look across this room and even this week, just meeting with some of you, I can't get to all of you. I feel really bad about that. I really do. But I'm just telling you, just walking around, seeing you, I'm privileged that you would choose to partner with us. I'm not doing you a favor. I feel favor from you being here. I mean that sincerely. And maybe I had to get there again through this crazy season. But you've got to get there too if God's going to keep adding to your church who he wants to be there. Value people, friends, because Jesus does. So quickly as we land this, I don't have to come back to this. To lead effectively, you need to remember that, number one, you are sons and daughters first. Please know that. Sons and daughters first. Not leader first, not elder first, sons and daughters. Minister from that place. I think it's come through again, the value, how God values you, not for your ministry or your church size, just from you. And if you can live for that place, you'll be effective in leading all God's people. And I think some of the stuff when we get intimidated by more bigger capacity people in our churches, if you've settled, you're a son and a daughter first, you can minister from a place of strength rather than intimidation. Keep coming back. First and foremost, son and daughter first. And regardless of position I'll carry in the local church going forward, son and daughter will never change. You guys are sons and daughters. And this is, I think, to be a battleship church leadership team, you've got to keep coming back sons and daughters. Secondly, be stewards. You're not just sons and daughters. You're stewards. Elders are stewards. How many of a steward is faithful, but they own nothing but their access to everything. 
We don't own anything. They're not our churches, and I know we know that, but stewards are being entrusted by someone else to take care of something else. I think some of the characteristics of faithfulness, loyalty, commitment, endurance, steadfastness, consistency, these are characteristics of faithfulness, and that's what a steward should be, faithful. But one of the greatest uh, uh, stories about or, or fruits of faithfulness, which I've never heard anyone, I always ask everyone where I go, tell me what a, 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 a um, characteristic of faithfulness is, endurance. And the, but you know, Jesus made it very clear in Matthew 20 something, where he, parable of the talents, 25 I think it is. Remember that? He said, the one who had one talent, the one who had two, the one who had five. The ones who doubled their talents were faithful. The one who kept their talent, dug a hole, and gave back to what he was given was an unfaithful servant. Jesus was actually saying, if you don't multiply what you've been given, you're unfaithful. Multiplication is a sign of a good steward, according to Jesus Christ. Faithful with our message. I just want to ask you this. What message is being sent out from the church you guys are leading? Think about that. What message? Not what is the message you want, what is. You guys determine the message coming out of your churches. Is it a cause-driven thing? Is it an anti-this or is it a for-this? I mean, again, without disrespecting some of the ministries that have... But do you remember Marcus Lamb? Have you heard of him? He leads Daystar. And you have Daystar here. I've seen it. So anyway, don't worry about it. He passed away from COVID. But he was an anti-vaccinator pastor. And I'm not trying to mock, but his legacy of 50 years of impacting nations and worlds, his last days were remembered. A man who was anti-vaccine ended up dying of COVID-19. That is what he, the message that's come through in his last days. I don't believe that would have been God's desire for him or his, but that's what he's known for. What's the message coming through your church? What are the people saying? What are the city saying about what's coming through your church? You guys determine that message. Mission, mandate, ministry, model, so on. Number three, be servants. Sons and daughters, stewards, servants. Leadership requires service and sacrifice. You did not serve her. I mean, you serve her, but she's not your master. He's our master. Number four, shepherds. You are shepherds. There's a whole teaching around that. But shepherd these people God's given you. Number five, be seers. Seers. We need to be seers. Not, not all prophets, but seers. How many of you know if God puts you in front to lead God's people, God wants you to see things? Can I say, not just for your church and for the people, but for your own life too. It seems our pastors are so good at hearing God for everyone else, but not reading seasons for their own lives. Some of us get in the way of what God's trying to do because we can't read the season where we're at. Some, we need to keep moving. So I just want to say, be seers. If we can be sons, we can be stewards, we can be shepherds, we can be servants, and we can be seers. I believe. I believe if we can function, not one of those, all of those, all the time. Battleships will be evident in what we do. Let's pray together. Let's pray.
Let's pray. Would you stand, please? Don't leave. We're leaving now. But just stay for the prayer. The prayer. I know we keep asking us to do this, but could you raise your hands? I just want to pray for us and you. And Listen, guys, I want you to know I've been praying for you for months. But now I'm here in this room and I get to pray for you in front of you. And I, I'm just heroes. They're heroes in this room. Well done. Well done. But let's pivot shift. So hold on. Let's not maintain through this season. And so Father, I just, I, I thank you for these men and women whose reward will never fade away according to your word. Tough here on earth, one absolutely difficult price. People love us, people hate us. People use us, people leave us. But in it all and through it all, it's not about them, it's not about us. It's always about you. I pray, Lord, that for eldership teams that are represented here, that all of us will shift again and not become complacent, but keep contending to what you've called us to be and to stay what you've called us to be rather than becoming something what people want us to be. I pray, Lord, that you fashion and form us more and more to be the churches and the people that represent you fully, that represent you and that represent your ways, that represent what you're about. Many have tried church, but many have not tried Jesus in the church because they haven't found Jesus in the church. So I do ask all of us to shift that pivot to, towards more to be faithful in this season, to be faithful through the season and to keep on contending into the future you've called us to for generations to come. Thank you for these men and women who didn't put their hand up, but they said yes when you called them and they keep saying yes. Thank you more coming through and more being released and we're grateful what you've given us, but we know there's more and we want to keep opening our hand and keep giving to the king for the kingdom. It's not ours, it's always yours. And may we prove faithful to the trust. We thank you, Lord, for these wonderful men and women. Bless them, strengthen their leadership teams, strengthen their vision, convince them of what they call to, and let nothing and no one talk them out of what you've called them to, we pray. Unite people this week, I pray. Unite eldership teams who may be marching to different drumbeats to come under the drumbeat of heaven again. Yes, expressed differently, but with similar hearts, same purpose, to see the name of Jesus glorified, we pray. We bless you in this room. May we enjoy our fellowship together.